Welcome to the Common Ground Alaska show. I'm so glad you're here. I'm Tandy. We own Common Ground Alaska Farmstead, and I have such a special show in store for you. Um, we, I had the opportunity to speak with Luita a while back, and her story is incredible. So here's what I want you to take from this. Here's what I want you to really lean into. It doesn't matter where you're at in your homesteading journey. If you want to live closer to the land and if you want to um, kind of just live a more holistic lifestyle, um, the sky's the limit, truly, because physical limitations, age limitations, um, those can be conquered. It takes help. It takes, um, you know, sometimes, you know, your family might think you're crazy. Um, but if you know, this is something that, that you can do, then I just want you to listen into, to Louita's story because not only is it incredible, it's so inspiring. So, um, Louita, with that amazing <laughs> introduction, <laughs> um, I couldn't quite make it. I couldn't quite get to the depth of how impressed I am by what you have been able to do and the heck with the limitations. So I'm really excited for you to share. Plus, I just think you're incredibly wise and our listeners are going to be um, just so encouraged just hearing these nuggets of wisdom that just come out of your mouth. So tell us about yourself. Tell us about your homestead. We want to hear your story. Well, first, I'd like to thank you so much for inviting me on to Common Ground Alaska. Um, this is the first podcast I've ever done. So um, you'll have to forgive me if I stumble through some of the words, but I'm a little bit nervous, but um, we had such a good time talking before. And so I'm looking forward to this and I thank you. So I, my name is Luita and I have lived in Alaska 28 years. I've lived rurally and in interior Alaska the entire time. And in the beginning, my children were here. And so some of the things I learned were just inherent from living rurally. Um, I had a well, but we had an outhouse. We didn't get plumbing right away. Um, we didn't have electricity for two years. So those types of things, we had chickens, but it, I look back now and I just laugh that they survived the winters um, because we didn't know anything. And my children are all gone. I have grandchildren. And I started having some medical issues about eight years ago. It started with my back and a year and a half, they still didn't quite know why the vertebrae wouldn't stay in. Um, I was fortunate enough, I literally um, spoke with a kid at a car repair place, and we had talked a year before about medical things, and his father was a chiropractor, kinesiologist, all these things, and he had seven sons, and I thought that was pretty interesting. Well, fast forward, and my back, they, they're thinking surgery. And I'm just thinking this doesn't feel right. And I kept praying about it. So I opened the yellow pages and I started calling all the chiropractic offices in Anchorage. And I said, do you have a chiropractor who has seven sons? And they'd be like, what? No. Okay. Thank you. That's probably not their usual question. (laughs) Until I found him. I found him. I made an appointment. I went in. Um, Long story short, he took one look at me and said, after he heard me, I think I know what's wrong with you, but let's do an x-ray just to be prudent. And he came back and he said, you have parasites. And I thought I have just wasted the last few dimes that I have. (laughs) And 
he could see the look on my face and he said, I'll make you a deal. You take these two bottles home. If in two weeks there's no change, I'll pay for this appointment and your next one and these. If there's a change, you pay. Don't pay today. And I said, you put money where your mouth is, you got it. So sure enough, a week later, I could roll out of bed. And I was amazed and shocked. And the reason it didn't show up, he said, was because the parasites are in the lining of the intestines. So it doesn't always come through in stool samples and things, depending on when the test is taken and when you were infected and how long. So long story short, six months on that and it was done. But because of a lot of factors, my diet, I didn't know that at the time, um, walking all bent and crooked all that time, almost two years, I had really, really exaggerated the stress on my right hip. And then adding food things that I didn't understand. Uh, two years after that, I ended up with problems with my hip. And I let it go a year before I looked into it. And by then I found out I had quite a bit of deterioration and uh, bone spurs. And I'll shorten the story, but a friend helped me find a functional medicine practitioner who put me on an elimination diet, which pretty much cured the really horrible pain within two weeks. Within a month, the pain was the physical therapy of getting back to where I needed to be. And so because I chose not to do surgery, it's a much longer healing process. And because it involved food and changing your um, intestinal flora and fauna. So I'm still on it, but I've come a really long way. Um, at one point, I couldn't lift a skillet and walk across the kitchen with it. And now I can carry a 40 pound bag of feed and walk with it. So it's possible, but it takes time. And so I decided when all of that was going on that I needed to make my own food and, and make something where I could be at home and not traveling the roads all the time and try to make a business from home. And I didn't quite know where I was headed, but I started getting into permaculture. I found Jeff Lawton and then I found Justin Rhodes and Joel Salatin and off grid with Doug and Stacy, and I was down the rabbit hole. And you know, I live in Alaska, so there's so many things that all those shows they don't tell you about because they don't have the extreme weather that I have. So there were all these things I would try, epic failure. And it took a while, but I started figuring things out. And sometimes things from Minnesota, places like that would work, Maine. And then a lot of it was trial and error. And then I got smart enough to ask other people who were doing it in Alaska and what their failures were and what their successes were. And slowly but surely, I was able to start putting together a homestead. I love that. So <clears throat> so um, the, the trials were pretty extreme. Did you, <laughs> yeah. did you um, live on your homestead at the time? Like while you were so sick, were you on your homestead or is this something that you kind of ventured into? Um, no, I lived here while my children were growing up and then I went to Anchorage to pursue my bachelor's and my back started while I was in Anchorage. Okay. And so I wasn't here while my back was so bad, but I was here for the entire time for my hip. Okay. I had moved back. I was no longer at UAA. 
And so that all happened here. Okay. All right. So something that isn't commonly talked about when I'm a huge Justin Rhodes and Joel Salatin fan. So um, I, I, they, they are just both so incredibly wise and they have this ability when you're listening to them talk, they have this just kind of energy giving ability to make you say, I can do that. I can totally do that. But then Alaska says, you know, you really can't. So um, it was a good idea, but no. So um, not only are there challenges with just living this kind of lifestyle in Alaska, but you also um, are not a spring chicken. Is that, is that how you want me to say that? So that's correct. You were older and you had physical limitations. And then you said, I think I want to go back to the homestead. Is that right? And your kids probably said, um, mom, that's probably not the greatest idea. My daughter is like, I am my youngest and bless her heart. She's always like, Hmm, Well, she won't just say that. She'll say, well, have you considered this? Have you considered that? What do you think you want to do about this, mom? And then if I can't come up with something, she'll say, well, you know, you might want to try that might work. She's always my cheerleader. That's, you know, I, my, well, my youngest is 12, but all of my kids are really my cheerleaders. I guess I should just say that they, and there's something about when your family believes in you, then it's because they know you better, you know, when it, when your family is saying, you know what, I think you can do this. And they probably, maybe, maybe they thought this was going to be a healthier lifestyle for you too. And they probably knew you were going to be a lot happier. So let's talk about the My other children weren't so enthusiastic. (laughs) (laughs) Well, they worry about their mom. (laughs) Yes. That was really, that was really the main concern is mom. I, I can't come help you, mom. I'm, I'm this far away, mom. And it's like, it's okay. I'm a big girl. It's okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. So, so tell us, tell us about your homestead. Tell us about where you live. What do you, what do you grow? What do you, do you have chickens? Like what, what do you do? I have five acres and I literally started with my turkeys and chickens and ducks in a shelter logic which I would never repeat. I don't recommend that to anybody um, because the two, the year before last, we had so much snow and it was this heavy, wet snow because I'm a shoveler. I can get out there and pick up a shovel full and throw it you know, on my worst days. But this was so heavy, I could only pick up about a third of a shovel. And then it got so high, you had to throw it waist high or higher. So it was crazy. Well, if it snowed at 2 a.m. in the morning, I had to get out of bed. I was up and in refrigerated coveralls and out there. And I had to dig a trench around it first and clear that. And then I could let the snow off the roof and then take that snow and throw it up over so there was nothing against the walls. And... It was a long winter, lots of exercise, but a long winter. And for me, because at that point I was so much weaker with my hip, it took forever for me to shovel that much snow and to get out there. I had to shovel the path to get there because at that point I couldn't step in deep snow. It was not happening. It would be painful. Now I can go through snow kind of up to my calves and I'm good. But yeah, if I, I, there was no way I could do that back then. Wow. Incredible. 
So, so now you have, what do, what do you have for critters? So now I have wooden structures with roofs that shed <laughs> and I have turkeys, geese, ducks, and chickens. Nice. Okay. And you said you started studying permaculture. So I'm assuming you've got some permaculture gardens going on too, and you're growing some of your own food. I cannot tell a lie. I have worked all that time. So gardening is my weakest skill. Mm -hmm. I'm a master canner. I can um, make tinctures and soap, uh, but make gardening is you can hear crickets when you ask me what I know about gardening. Okay. And right. so I, what I did was I literally cheated. I joined the co-op and CSA and got my produce that way because I was working on top of everything. So I really didn't have time to do something I knew nothing about and try to start that. So up until last year, which was the first time I planted anything and it, it didn't go well. I planted the tomatoes too late. I got green tomatoes, but that was it by the time they came about and flowers. So this year I'm already started. Things are already in trays. Potatoes will go in when the moon starts to wax. And uh, so this year I'm, I'm more on top of it and we'll see how much I can grow. But I'm still part of the Wholesome Food Co-op in Wasilla because that's what I'm going to can and put away even now until my little garden comes through. But this year I will have an honest to goodness fenced in garden area. And I started an orchard two years ago with apple trees and plum trees. And that actually did okay. They're, they're little and I'm gonna put a bigger fence around them this year. I have rabbits for dog food because I have two dogs and two cats. Okay, so, okay. So much to unpack from what you just said. Um, so first of all, something that I've noticed in this, in this, um, kind of, I don't know, homestead, what is it? Joel Salton calls it the homestead tsunami. This, this yes. trend of homeschooling is that, oh, um, is that, I'm sorry. Um, you feel like there's this misconception that you have to do it all. Like here we are, it's March and almost April. And so you should have your property. You should grow, you know, you should have your pigs on order. You should have your chickens on order. You should, um, if you don't have a milk cow already, you better get on it and get it right now. And, um, you better be ordering your garden beds and reserving your dirt. And like, just, it's, it's like this huge hurry up and do it. And you need to spend, you know, the other thing I'm seeing a lot is, um, people are asking, you know, do you have bigger trees? Do you have three-year-old trees, four-year-old trees? So they, so we can, get them producing faster. Um, there's nothing wrong with that. If you have the time and the energy for that, that's great. But to, I think that it takes a, a special wisdom to take a step back and say, okay, first of all, four-year-old trees are going to cost me like $250. If I can just pull my jets a minute, I can get a, a you know, a tree for 50 bucks or 60 bucks. Yeah. It's not going to produce for a couple of years, but by golly, the trees planted. You know, they say the best time to plant an orchard was 20 years ago. The next best time right. is right now, you know? So right. I think that you just in saying, you know, you've got your, your, um, poultry and you have, sounds like you can like make soap and tinctures and all that. Those are, that's huge. That's huge, huge, huge. But 
you don't have a garden right now, but you're okay with that. And I think that I like, I want people to hear this, that it doesn't, first of all, homesteading does not mean gardening. You don't have to grow all your own food. And second of all, um, you know, you, you found ways to source food the way that you want it. And, um, I, I think that that's just such a powerful, powerful message to be okay with not following the status quo of what it looks like to be a homesteader. Because, um, you know, I love to guard can canning is my thing. I'm like you, I'm like, I, I enjoy I the process. Can anything. Huh? I can can anything. Exactly. Stand in my kitchen too long. You might end up in a jar. Don't, don't <laughs> do it. <laughs> so I understand that. And, but I also love the growing process and I have Gene who can grow anything. He just looks at plants and they're like, what can I do for you? So, um, so there's no reason for me to not have a garden because, um, so, <clears throat> but I don't make my own soap and, you know, tinctures and all that kind of stuff. I think it's, I think herbalism is super cool and I'm trying to dabble in it a little bit, but I know people who know herbalism. And so I am super content saying to my friend, Carol, this is what we're looking at. What do I do about this? And just listening to her wisdom and bringing her a jar of, you know, chicken noodle or uh, chicken, chicken pot pie filling in, you know, to, in exchange for her wisdom. Um, so I think that that that's the, the one thing that I heard that you said was just that you're doing it your way. And there's no, no pressure to do it any other way. You found what works for you. And it's super, super, um, it's important to rest in that then, right? I would, I would really like to address that um, because especially for me, my passion is people over 55 <laughs> and people with physical challenges <laughs> because I think they get the most flack about doing homesteading. and. Even, you know, there's, what is that running joke? The colloquialism, um, old age and treachery will beat youth and skill every time, you yep. know? And I have to tell you, there's some truth to that because I don't care if you're five years behind somebody, if you really take a piece of paper and a pencil and a notebook and you sit down and you say, okay, this is what I think I want my homestead to look like. And you draw it all out. You know, I want 20 acres, I want five acres. Okay. I'm going to do a five acre plan and a two acre plan. Cause we may not be able to have five right away. So you do two. Then you look at that and you say, okay, what do I need to change permaculture wise or aging in place wise? What didn't I put in there for Alaskans? We have, I, I had my um, chicken Turkey building in one place and my geese duck house in another and a duck. And I was going to put the duck house in the middle and it looked so cute until I really looked at it and went, let's see you get a snow plow or even a snow blower between those two buildings. And if it's a heavy snow year, where are you throwing the snow as you walk between them? At which point the duck house moved because it was not a practical <clears throat> idea. And you have to do that. You have to go, okay, what does this look like in spring? Oh, okay. What does that look like in summer when it's hot? What does that mean to me? Okay. Fall. What does that mean getting vegetables in or taking compost out or changing out the 
um, bedding for the animals. And you'll start finding, oh, that doesn't work. And you'll start changing things and moving things. And then you get to winter and your whole life will change. And pretty soon you'll have a homestead that really looks like what you need. Yeah. And that's so important. The next thing is that I want to caution everybody about is I'm one of those people, I'm a verb. When I think of something and I know what I want, it's as good as done. That is not always a good thing because you have no idea what you don't know. And I remember I got my chickens and like I said, these poor guys ended up in a shelter logic, which was not the best place but it was fenced and that was important at the time um because i have bears in my area and we had some neighbors dogs and i didn't have a dog that could stay out at night kind of thing i just i have a livestock guardian puppy that's in training right now that'll be a year old next month and so that's going to be his job and he's fine outside on super cold nights and especially if he has a dog house he'll be great but I didn't have that back then. So my next caution is, you know, you want chickens. Now make sure you have absolutely everything for those chickens first. How are you going to fence? How are you going to fence if you want them to free range? Do you have eagles and hawks? So do you have netting to put over the top? Or do you have a dog that likes poultry that's already been around them and can sit out there with them and keep things away? I didn't. Um, feed. I, I know people think, oh my goodness, you know, but in the winter, especially because in the summer you can let them run around, they can pretty much feed themselves. They can get their own grit. They're, they're pretty self-sufficient, but once we get to fall and things die away, they're dependent on you. And I highly recommend having your entire winter's worth of feed before you get poultry because things happen. It's just life. It, volcanoes, earthquakes, the peas didn't do well in Delta Junction now for the second year. Um, you know, there's there's this list and they have to have a certain amount of protein. And OK, so what if you couldn't leave your homestead for four months? Are you prepared to feed your chickens? Do you have mealworms started? Maybe some vermiculture with composting so you could feed them some red worms occasionally? You know, is it insulated? I don't do lights because I believe the birds need a little bit of a break, but I do believe it needs to be insulated because I get down to minus 40 where I am. So that's just fair. And it's really funny because the chickens will look out and see the snow and go, nope, we're staying in here. But the geese and the ducks, they'll be out in a snowstorm. It can be a blizzard and the geese will be out there with their wings up going, you call this a storm, you know? So birds are different too. Um, and breeds of birds. So there's a lot of research. And if you do your due diligence, I know it feels like you're just doing nothing, but you will be so far ahead. You will put yourself two years ahead to somebody else if you do all your due diligence ahead of time and make sure as you get livestock, you're totally set up medical, keeping them, feeding them for that livestock. And you don't have to add everything at once. You could just do chickens and overwinter chickens and see how that goes. And then add ducks that spring and put in a pond and then overwinter those two and see how that goes. And then, 
it, it, it really is better that way. So that I really like to tell people is doing it all at once. Even if you do it, you're going to regret it because it's a lot to take care of. And when that's not part of your regular schedule yet, it, you're going to feel overwhelmed. Yeah. And it's a lot to learn. Um, yes. And the learning curve is huge and it's tough to, um, I wish I could remember, I'm trying to remember exactly what he said, but um, Joel Salatin in a, a show that I was listening to, he said when the, um, I forget exactly what he said, when the when the, the freak snowstorm comes and um, your tomatoes don't ripen and all this stuff, he said, when you're in your second year of homesteading and all of a sudden, you know, or at the end of your first year and all of a sudden things don't work, um, it's hard when it's one or two things then you can kind of have that everything is figure outable attitude. Well, we can get through this. We can figure this out. We can, we can figure out what to do with green tomatoes or whatever, you know, bring them in and ripen them, whatever we need to do. But when everything is because everything is new and you're having to learn it, it's really tough. Um, yeah, I think that's important. Another thing to kind of piggyback off of that, we're we're going backwards. So we've always had we've always had chickens, um, and we have them year round for eggs. And um, this year we've decided. Um, that for a year, we or for one winter at least, we're not going to have any animals over winter. So we're growing oh. out. Of, we're growing out a pig. Um, well, we're growing out a few pigs. We're growing out um, a couple pigs, and um, for us and for our son. And then um, we're also growing out meat chickens. But we're not. We're just looking at what can we do. I I buy my beef locally from a local farmer. Um, we get milk from a local farmer. So we're just figuring out what can we do. Um, that we can, so we can just not have any livestock for one winter, just because it's, it's kind of nice to have a break once in a while. And it's really easy to find someone to watch the house and the dogs. It's a little harder when you have a bunch of livestock. So, um, so for that reason, we're taking a step back. And I almost think, although the idea of butchering chickens is a whole different thing than if you want egg chickens, but, um, maybe having, you know, 10 chickens over the summer, learn that. If it doesn't work, you can always butcher them. You can always eat them. Or if you want to go into, you know, if you've got a multi-purpose bird, a buckeye or whatever those multi-purpose birds are, um, then you can keep them over. But again, just realizing that it's it's a huge undertaking. And like you said, it's expensive. So come fall, um, we we do the same thing with our with our meat chickens this year. We actually purchased all of their feed. We purchased the chickens. We purchased the feed. We purchased the we are changing their outdoor um their their free ranging. And so we're kind of changing how we're doing it. Um so we just everything is bought, it's ready to go. And it feels better that way because now I know I'm gonna provide for these chickens no matter what. It's done. Before the chickens are even here, we already have over two ton of feed in our barn. So, um, so I agree with you. It feels better to know that you're prepared. You have everything you need to do for the lifespan of the animals, or at least through the winter. And then it gives you some time to figure things out if things go kind of sideways. And there's always a way to, what do I want to say? There's always a way to back yourself up. I'm one of those people that believes that one is none, two might do, three is key, four is more and five to thrive. So if you don't have five ways to do something, you need to keep on it. And if you're just starting out, and this is what I tell people, there's no way to do it all. And you don't do it all at once. So 
getting property in and of itself is a huge decision with lots of due diligence if you're really um, going to do everything, local codes, rights, your neighbors, what's within 20 miles of you in every direction. If you're really going to do your homework, that'll take time. So if you found your property and it's got water on it or shallow wells, or you can make a shallow well, you just did 50% of the journey. Congratulate yourself. And believe me, that's huge. And if you're over 55 or physically challenged, does this piece of land suit your challenges? And that's a really big deal too, you know, to know for me, I can pretty much walk anywhere. I can't stand for long periods of time and I can't kneel down like most people can easily. It, it takes some and being on my knees, I have to be in knee pads. And even then it's got to be kind of soft ground or, or I'll put a towel under the one side kind of thing. So it's not just something where I just kneel down. That's, that's not happening. And so for me, I can do ground that has a higher spot and use gravity feed water and something else. But what if somebody was in a wheelchair yeah. or what if their knees are really bad mm-hmm. or their hips are really bad because surgery doesn't always cure everything, which is why I elected not to. I'd rather fix the problem so nothing else goes out was my theory. So, um, but somebody else wouldn't be able to use the property I can use. By the same token, somebody else who got this property because it's really virgin. Oh my goodness, it is rough. It has trees down, it has, but walking isn't a problem for them. They can step over stuff and do, their problem is their shoulders or their arm. That's a perfect piece of property for them because they can clear with a scythe They can pay somebody maybe to do some of the wood stuff, or they can use mechanical means to clear the wood and things that don't require them to use their shoulders so much or their arms so much. So you have to look at your individual situation. Do you have more money than you have physical ability? Okay, let's say you don't have a lot of money. Well, then it becomes a thing about resources and thinking outside the box and being able to do more for yourself. But if you're older, one of the things I tell people, even if you're younger, if you've been doing a desk job for 15 years and you're 35, you're in no better shape than a 65-year-old that's starting. You're in the same place. Don't even kid yourself because... If they've been hunting and fishing and moving all their life, they're ahead of you. (laughs) So when you're doing something like this, you have to know that you've got to physically get into shape. So while you're creating your homestead, drawing on paper, looking up all those statutes and laws and building codes, you should be in an exercise program to strengthen your body so that you don't hurt yourself. This This is being... So at that point, you want to be able to strengthen yourself so that you can um, do what you need to do and not hurt yourself. And so that, that takes some time and energy and it takes thought. So I'm always doing, I can be in the kitchen and I'll 
lean back and do push-ups off the countertop and things, you know, just all day long and, and wall Pilates and exercise and things because I'm standing there. If I'm going to watch YouTube, I try to put my little step thing up and take some steps. If I'm going to watch YouTube, I might as well do something practical. Um, and those little things make a huge difference in your ability and your balance, which was, is my still kind of an issue for me is balance. And so, but it's all doable. You just have to think it through. And if you don't have skills like building CPR, medical stuff. Now is the time while you're looking for that property. You're not wasting time. You're not behind the curve. Go get the skills you need. I That's amazing. That's, that's so true. It's so true. It's not something I think that people often think of when they want to start doing this is if you aren't strong when you get started, then you really can hurt yourself. And then you're really going to be in a pickle. So um, so yeah, getting, getting yourself into shape is, is an important thing. Um, another thing that you keep touching on, and I want to kind of talk about, I want to talk specifically to elders or folks who are physically challenged. You're talking about bear land, um, and planning and thinking through kind of what, what your homes, what you want your homestead to look like. So what are some, you've named a bunch already, but what are some other challenges that, that folks need some other things that folks need to look for? Like I'm thinking, um, one thing that I thought of is water before we, we were off grid for four or five years. Um, and getting water was a majorly big deal. Had I not been young and had teenage sons, it would have been a much bigger deal because <laughs> we were just hauling five gallon jugs from the laundromat yeah. of water. Um, yes. and, and I was young and the course they were young. So we had ample ability to, um, to, you know, strengthen up and stuff. But, um, if, especially if you're physically challenged or if you are um, an elder, let, you know, tell me what, what are some things to be watching for specifically? So one of the things I always tell people is it's so individual. It's so subjective because if you can carry a five gallon jug, well, you can fill it up to four gallons and go, you know, at the spring and fill it, you could, you know, or if it's going to be a problem for you to do all that, then maybe water catchment is something you need to make a priority for you the minute you hit your property. Yeah. If there's no naturally occurring water on your property, like a spring that's higher than where you plan to put the house, things like that, then you are looking at having to get water in some way. And that's a huge consideration. And here we go again. If you want livestock, that's an even bigger consideration. I have a dog that can empty a gallon of water in a heartbeat. I mean, I will fill the bowl that's supposed to be for two dogs and two cats. He will come in, he will drink it down to the bottom and both cats will come and get me and tell on him because they have no water and they're not <laughs> drinking that last little bit of spit that's left. Yeah. And so they are, they are letting me know, get in here and fill this water dish and clean it out. Yes. And so, you know, and in the summer, I easily, when I'm working outside, I can easily go through a gallon of water easily between tea and just water and things like that. Well, so do the dogs. And so do chickens. Geese drink a lot of water, even in the winter. These guys will go through three gallons of water in the winter, easy a day. 
And so, and I have seven geese. So that kind of gives you an idea. Seven geese, three gallons of water, super simple. Um, ducks, even in the winter, they need to be able to stick their heads in water and, and bathe a little bit. Don't ask me how they do that at minus 30, but they, they like it. In the summer, that's a whole nother number because these guys have a pool I put in for them in the summer. Mm-hmm. And those guys are in it and they splash water out of it and it gets dirty. Like I can put clean water, clean the pool and you can't prove I cleaned it 15 minutes later. You'd look at me and go, are you going to clean this sometime soon? And I just walk away. But you do every other day. I dump it out and there's not a lot of water left. They get rid of half of it easy in two days. So that's a lot of water. Mm-hmm. Um one of the things that I didn't know that somebody told me was a few years ago, they said, oh, do you have your water rights? And I went, huh? And they said, your water rights for your property. And I just kind of smiled and nodded like, okay. And then I went and looked it up and realized I didn't. So I had applied for my water rights for my property. I didn't even know that was a thing. And so there's all these things you learn, you know, access for utilities, even if nobody has, even if you go to the recorder's office and you see that there's no easements or access, that doesn't always cover utility access. So you got to go to your utility companies and make sure how wide they get to make the street and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a lot of due diligence when you're buying a piece of property. And I'm saying all this because I didn't do all that and I didn't know all that when I did it. And so um, it's it's been interesting in some ways, but I highly recommend taking your time and doing that whole list of things because you'll appreciate, you'll thank yourself. The other thing is resources. You know, we, we see the, Home Depot, Lowe's shed, and we think, oh, okay, that's what we have to get. Or we see the, you know, do you have a place that has free pallets? Pallets aren't that hard to break apart. They really aren't. And contrary to all those YouTube that tell you to take a circular saw and cut down the center, it really isn't hard to pull those boards off and not break them. You just have to be a little patient. And that's a lot of wood. That's a lot of good wood that you can sand down with a palm sander and make things with. There's mills around you. Do you have people who have sawmills around you? A lot of times they get rid of slabs, that first piece they cut off the top. And you know, you just have to work with it. It's not gonna be perfect. They're not gonna be all the same thickness. But if you're doing board and batten on the outside of a chicken coop that you used recycled wood for, it'll make it look beautiful and nobody will know what's underneath it. And it'll be double, which insulates it for your birds. Do you have a, a brewery near you? Spent grain will cut your food bill for all the animals on the farm. Everybody can eat that. So spent grain and, you know, I didn't understand this until another friend said, oh, well, you know, you can put enough away for winter. And I'm thinking to myself, how would you do that? Oh, well, she gets IBC totes that are all torn up, cuts the top off, waits till it gets really cold, goes and fills three IBC totes with spent grain and leaves them outside and they freeze. So when they want spent grain, they break off chunks, put them in five gallon buckets, bring them in the house, thaw them and then feed them. And I thought, wow, there's a way to supplement feed all winter long. For, so they're, for they're free, yes. Yeah. 
Yes. Yes. It doesn't cost as much money as people think, but you just have to think ahead. Yes, I think you're exactly right. And again, you know, because this is kind of, we're kind of looking through the lens of someone who's either physically challenged or who's, um, who's older, um, knowing your limitations, but also I think, um, something we can definitely learn from you is knowing your limitations, but also knowing what you're capable of. Um, because over time, your limitations have be have lessened because you're active on your homestead, like you were talking about the, the, you know, not being able to walk through snow hardly at all. Now you can get it up, you know, to your calves. And um, I think that's really um, good to think about. Number one, it's a healthier lifestyle. I mean, I, I hear people all the time, they say, you know, I retired, and then, you know, they they lose their health. And, but and I think a lot of times it's because they don't have that, they don't have, you know, the, 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 the work to go to or whatever, but also if you don't have things that are keeping you busy and physically healthy, then there isn't, you know, you're going to lose it. And, and I just turned 50 this year and I noticed that it, it's just harder work to, it's harder. The healing process is harder at 50 than it is, than it was at 30. And I can imagine at 60, it's even harder and takes longer. Um, you know, and the older you get, the longer that healing process is going to take just because, um, everything's moving a little slower. (laughs) Well, I'm really blessed in like you, I have friends that are much farther along in homeopathic medicine and stuff. So they help me out. I'll say, Oh, what about, and they'll be like, Oh, 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 do this. And I'll teach you how to make that next time. And it's like, okay. And that's how I learn is a little bit at a time. I'm really fortunate because I have a lot of skills. Um, so I'm not great at running heavy equipment, but it can, um, I can frame, I, I understand that. And I acquired tools a little bit at a time. And because I've always wanted to live rurally, I have hand tools and power tools. So if there was no electricity, we'd just have to get out the, the other drill and the brace and the bits and, and drill holes and hammer. And, you know, I can do that. And so that's another thing that I tell people is you get overwhelmed if you look at the whole picture, but the way to do anything, you eat an elephant one bite at a time. So once you find your land, once you know what, and that's the thing that takes away your overwhelm. The reason you wanna do these lists and all this drawing and all this talking is because it will take you out of the overwhelm. Mm -hmm. Once you know what your land requirements are, you know exactly what you're looking for. It's no longer this big, horrible game. You know exactly what it has to meet for you. It didn't have to have water for me. I, I, I had younger kids. I could haul water. I can still haul water. But if that's not something you can do, but I'm getting older. So I'm putting in water catchment this summer and I'm putting in a tank that I can fill once a week for the birds. And it'll keep, I can just open that instead of hauling water out to them. So I make, that's another thing is you improve every year, every year you get improvement, or at least I do. And so if you start with just a piece of land and something to live in, that's insulated. There you go. 
If that's all you get done the first year, good job. Because now you know where everything else is going and there's ways to get help for free. That's the other thing I tell people um, is I've been working on a course because I, I hear so many people go, well, how do I do this? How do I do that? How do I do it? There is so much free information and help out there. The state has foresters who would love to do nothing more than come to your property and walk it with you and say, oh, that's a wet area. That's a good place to plant berries and this and that. And that's a good place to build a house because this, 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 and this. And you know what? If you were going to do a garden, I would put it right there because you've got this, you've got that. You need to cut down those trees. Those are a danger. And they'll, for free, They'll walk through your whole property with you for free and give you all that information. You, you don't have to spend a fortune for land. Every state in the union has a land auction. Every state. And most people don't want remote or rural property. So, yeah. or they've lost it, foreclosure. So if you look, you can find land inexpensively you don't have to pay those outrageous prices you pay the state it's usually three to five percent that they finance it for you where are you going to find that yeah you're right you're exactly right there and that is the that is your biggest expense is typically is land so um finding a piece with a land auction is a really smart thing to do. I hadn't thought about that. That's a good idea. And it's easy. It's an easy find. It's just right there on the internet. Um, and the payments are, are low. Your yeah. and, and what you have to put for a, a down payment is next to nothing. It's like a 20th. And then you make these little payments for three to five years at three to 5%. Um, you have a forester come tell you what your land looks like and why and, and where and what to do things and what he can see because he can look at it and tell you what's going on on your property. Tell him what you want to do. Tell him, see, that's another reason to have that drawing. You can go online and you can look up where the sun is, where you are, what the average temperatures are, and the wind has been for the last 80 years. You can do that for your piece of property. You just have to put in your latitude and longitude of where you are, and you can get that from your map from the state or borough or county. And it'll tell you where your corners are and all of that. And you can look up all this information. You want to know how much sun you have and where it passes over and what's the average and all of that. It's at your fingertips. The graphs are there. It'll print it out for you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's that's all really, really good. That's all really good information. Another thought that I had had too, if you're... Um, maybe going to have, you know, some health challenges or something. A lot of people, when they plant an orchard, they plant trees. And I'm wondering if, um, so our apple trees are planted on, Jean's not right here, but I think they're on semi-door fruit stock. So they're never going to be, you know, 50 foot tall trees. Like we right. had, wouldn't be anyway, like we have in Oregon, but, um, but it's an Alaska hardy rootstock and it is a little shorter. The other thing we have is most of the rest of our berries are, in bushes. So we're not having to climb ladders to, um, to, to harvest the fruit. The fruit is, you know, at eye level, you might have to bend down or, you know, reach up, but it's, it's really condensed in this easy picking area. And I would think that that would be smart for someone who might have, 
um, some health limitations, depending on, of course, what they are, but, um, but that might be smart for, for thinking down the road too, for, for ever production, because those perennial bushes produce a lot of fruit when they're, once they're mature. And we're really fortunate here, and I'm sure they have it in other states. We have some great nurseries, and they can tell you everything about the trees. If you there, you could even make a greenhouse attached to the side of the house mm-hmm. that you could go out your door into, regardless of the winter snow, and keep lemons, limes, other things that are are hard to keep, and even grow things in a vertical garden so that you had salad all winter long, there are ways to do everything. So you don't get a garden in the first year. How about a place to do your winter garden? Yeah. The first year where you could grow little things for yourself all year long. Um, There's just, there's so many resources out there that the list is endless. The extension service, they'll tell you how to grow. They'll tell you what um, the best species are and, and the best kind and where you can get them and um, how to grow them, how to plant them, what to put on them, how to keep the voles and mice away from them in the winter, how to keep the moose away from them in the winter. I mean, your extension service, no matter where you live, is your best friend oh, when you're trying totally. to plant things. And they do usually canning classes. If you don't can, they do gardening classes, composting classes. I'm a hands-on person. I learned best um, that way. And so those are really big pluses and neighbors, you know, that old person down there, that's 70, they're going to have the best garden of anybody in the place. And so that's who you go, you know, volunteer to help them. Let's say you don't put your garden in, but you go help them for a whole summer. Well, I'm sure they'll give you a little bit of what comes out of the garden, but more than anything, you'll learn everything and what grows in your area and how to treat it in your area. It's so true. And I think another thing to consider too is bartering. Um, And, um, you know, if you're able to grow chickens and you can grow chickens, lots of chickens. um, So now you have lots of eggs to share. I mean, those like what? three, six months ago, those eggs were very valuable, but, um, but, um, you know, grow what you can do what you can. And if you have room for more then that gives you the opportunity to barter with, for the things that you can't do. And, um, and I think that's a really good thing to consider. The reason we do, um, actually I, we just got done planning. We're doing, it's, it's called our fill your larder series. It's all summer long. It lasts all summer because there's a lot to learn. Um, but we do two classes a month. Um, I think that's how it turned out. Um, but we're doing canning, we're doing fermenting, we're doing, um, all the, all the pieces. I, I can't even think of all of the components of it. It's seven classes, eight classes, I think. Um, but it's all the different parts of, you know, basically storing food. Are you going to freeze it? You know, some stuff freezes, some stuff is better dehydrated. How do you do, what are all the, the different methods of preserving, um, essentially. And, um, but the reason that we started this was because, um, I realized that there are, for one thing, pressure canning is kind of, um, it's intimidating for people. Um, and because I grew up with it, it's, it's, it's not intimidating to me. And it's, that's just kind of one of those things. If you grow up with it and it's natural and it's second nature, then it isn't, you know, I have a healthy fear. I'm not going to, not going to try to take the top off my pressure canner before the, before the pressure's out. But, um, 
so but when you're used to it you don't think about it my dad did pressure canning and so i'm pretty used to that and i've done my own for years so yeah so the reason we started these classes though was because we were it seems like when we have people where you pick farm too everyone knows that and so um when people would come out for you pick then they'd talk about things like preservation or even growing plants and they'd be like well i i we what we hear the phrase that we were hearing a lot is i can't do this and I'm not a very, I don't, I don't handle, I can't very well. Like I I see it as a challenge. You can't, well, then let's do it. Let's figure out how Exactly. Uh, there are some, I can'ts in Alaska. I would be stupid to plant a a, um, peach tree in the middle of my zone two orchard, you know, plant an an Alberta peach tree in the middle of my zone two orchard. That wouldn't be a wise thing to do. I realize there are things that, that really wouldn't be wise, but, but there are things we can do when we get just a little bit creative or just when we, when we have more knowledge. And that's the whole reason we're doing these classes is just to get the knowledge in the hands of the people so that more people can do more things. And, and selfishly, because I want to have this community, I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying building a community around me, people like you who are so incredibly wise and, and we're learning from each other and we're, we're giving and we're taking and we're, you know, it's kind of this beautiful symbiotic, I don't know, um, world kind of, and, and we're all like-minded in a way that we're not, we're certainly not politically like-minded. Um, I, I like to tell the story that one year, last year, two years ago in our orchard, the cars were all parked and there was a car with a, a it was, um, was it two, was the election two years ago? I can't even remember, but there was a car with a Biden sticker parked next to a car with a Trump sticker. And I remember just looking at that and I just cried. And I was like, these, as divided as our nation is, these two people are out in my orchard picking together and they're getting along. And that is so cool. It just, and I agree with you up here, those things we can sit down at lunch and discuss politics up here. I couldn't believe the stuff I saw in the lower 48 where people were egging people's houses and ripping up signs. And I thought, no wonder they don't want people to own guns down there. You know, it's just <laughs> like, that's, that's ridiculous. The, yeah. How mature can you get? Everybody is welcome to an opinion and it doesn't have to be mine. Yeah. That's how you learn is by discussing things with other people. But I, my thing, the reason community is so important is for me, I tried sauerkraut for the first time about two years ago. And and, and it was epic fail. I mean, it wasn't even like it didn't taste good. I actually did something wrong and had to throw it out. Okay. And it was a gallon and I felt so bad oh. wasting all that food. Yes, exactly. And so the next year I tried it and it wasn't quite as epic a fail, but it didn't taste great. You know, I, I mean, I, let me put it to you this way. I put it out for the chickens and it took them a couple of days to decide that maybe just maybe they'd have to eat it because I wasn't feeding them a bunch of other stuff. So that should give you a clue. So I, I was saying this to somebody and she said, oh, come to my house. I'll teach you how. And I said, OK. So I came and she did. I, I brought she, I picked up what she told me to get. I came to her house. We did it. It was much better. So, of course, now that it turned out, you have to go. Well, another friend told me, you have got to measure. I know you hate to weigh stuff, and you're one of those cooks that never measures. But until you get this down, 
weigh your ingredients because when you find a recipe you like, that way you can duplicate it. Okay. And I remember, but I did it. Well, I came out with this recipe that had carrots and ginger and red and green cabbage and onions. And it actually tasted a little sweet when it was done and it was killer. And so now I can proudly say, oh yeah, I can do sauerkraut. I can do major sauerkraut. And now I know to put an apple in it, which kind of helps the whole thing. And you just, so I tell people, you can't just say, oh, when I get there, I'll just go out on this farm we bought and I'll do all that stuff. It doesn't work like that. Your dirt could be different than mine and you could do everything I tell you and you are not going to get the crop I'm going to get because you haven't put three years of chicken compost down on the ground. You don't have rabbits. And so you, it doesn't work like that. You have to try all this stuff. You have to do all this stuff and then figure out what works for you. And for people 55 and physically challenged, you have to figure out how wide do you need your paths? You know, for, for Anna, for a girl that comes and helps me, she's been the greatest boost to me. And I pay her to do certain chores because she's just faster. It's not that I can't do it. Yeah. It's that she can move it all in an hour and it'll take me three. But it's funny because she doesn't even make paths. She's really tall. So she just walks through the deep snow and punches through <laughs> and gets there and carries it out. I would have had to shovel a path, period. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and so those are the things you think about, you know, when you're going to age in place. How wide does it be? Because when she shovels for me, I tell her, no, two shovels wide because I have to pull a sled behind me. You're just going to load everything up in your big old arms and those long legs and walk <laughs> yourself down there. That is not how it's going to work for me. When it's my turn to do it, I have to pull a sled. So you have to think where, how wide do I need my walkways for what I need? Do I have a dog that helps with stuff? How wide does it have to be for me, a dog in a cart? How wide, you know, so what your personal challenges are is going to make your farm look totally different than mine, even if we had the same layout, because you have different requirements. And that's really important. The other thing is there are lots of companies out there that have really great products for people to be able to do things. Lots of ergonomic, lots of extended handles, things that you can buy. You can, you can buy it that way. The tool's already made to fit what you need to be able to do. Wheelchair, uh, like me, I can stand up, but I, can't, I don't want to stand in one place very long or it's going to make me hurt. So I like things I can walk and move and, and do. So those long handles work great for me. For my other friend, she likes those short handles because she can't do that upper body swing thing, but she can walk all day and stand all day. So for her, a shorter handle works because she's just doing little bits at a time. I'm taking great big swaths when I go through. Same chore, two different techniques for doing the very same thing because of our physical limited lim limitations, excuse me. So those are the things that you have to think through when you're looking at your building your place and anything is possible. I don't care how old you are. It is never too late to become the person you were meant to be. It is never too late. It depends how bad you want it and how hard you're willing to work for it. 
I, that's perfect. That's absolutely beautiful. I love that. So I want to speak for just a second. Thank you for saying that, Louita. That's just, it's just inspiring. Um, so I want to speak for a second to the person who feels compelled to homestead or they, they, um, they, they feel called to this or they, they just really desire this lifestyle, but mm -hmm. there's just this nagging, I can't, you know, I, this, and, and I think we all have that to a, um, well, I'm facing that right now. I have a closet that's a disaster <laughs> and I open the closet and I'm like, I can't, and I close the door, but not to make light of it, but, um, but, um, what, how, how can you using your story, how can you breathe life into someone who just, they, they desire this so much and you've given us so many good tips already, but like in like two or three sentences, they just desire this so much. But, you know, I think the bottom line is it's just fear. They, they feel like I can't, it's too much, but I really want to, how would you, how would you just encourage them? I would, I would say to list what you consider are your strengths and your weaknesses personally. That way, you know what you need to learn that would make you more comfortable in what you want to do. And the overwhelm is usually why we say we can't. We look at it and we go, well, she can build something. I can't. Well, she had already had chickens before. I've never owned a chicken before. Well, I've never had a piece of land. I've lived in the city my whole life. I, I killed African violets on my balcony, you know, a garden. Okay. All right. So what you need to do is research what you think you want what what what's your picture when you close your eyes if you could wave a magic wand what would it look like well i'd like to have a goat to milk and i'd like to have some poultry and rabbits okay that's an easy one that's that's super simple rabbits are the easiest keepers you need fencing around them that's dog proof you need a roof over their heads. You can have open sides, but in the winter, you need to put up tarps because the wind will get them. So you can keep the wind off of rabbits. You're set. You need frames to keep the cages off the ground and you need cages. So what would I say? I'd say start looking at Craigslist when people are getting rid of hutches and cages and things. Go on YouTube and look at the different ones and go, oh no, I don't want one that, that works like that. Because part of the problem is because you don't know what you don't know and you don't know what to ask, you will buy things that eventually are not what you want. So if you can watch enough videos of different people and start getting an idea of your head, oh no, I want it to latch from the top down or no i don't want it to latch from the top down because that makes it too hard the rabbit will come out and i can't move fast enough to catch it i want it to latch this way well there you go there's an answer right there that you didn't know by just watching videos and how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time so start looking at the things you want and what they involve and you will find that the more you know the less scary it becomes because what we're afraid of is the unknown. And I can't comes from not really knowing what it is you need to do. But once you look at it and see, well, wait a minute, they got two five-year-olds taking care of those rabbits. I can do that. I can <laughs> so open true. a cage that opens that way. I can hand a carrot to a rabbit. 
I can get little bags of feed. No, not a 50 pounder, but those are, those are 10 pound bags. That kid's carrying that bag. Well, there you go. You start seeing where you can do it. Or maybe you get a 50 pound bag because it's cheaper and you don't even take it out of your vehicle. You get that great kid at the place, the feed store to put it in. And then you bring your little buckets, your little buckets that are three gallons and you fill each one and you carry your little three gallon buckets down to the rabbitry. And now you can carry the feed. Because it's not a 50-pound bag. You don't even have to take it out of the, the vehicle and put it on a cart. You can empty it right there in the vehicle. I that's so, so true. And it's so encouraging. And you're right. It's just taking one step at a time and taking the fear and the unknown out of it, I think, is majorly key. And I also think sometimes, sometimes it's when you look at the big picture, the big picture feels overwhelming because you look at the big picture and you think I have to accomplish all of that. So sometimes rather than, you know, a lot of times you want to take a step back and get like the 30,000 foot view, but sometimes I think it's better to kind of zoom in and what's the one thing, what's one thing I can learn and feel mm -hmm. confident in. Like you said before, just get some chickens, start with chickens. They're the easy ones you're successful with chickens. Now you can add some ducks and now maybe you can start growing fodder for your chickens or start fermenting your chicken food. And then that leads you into, well, if it's better for the chickens, maybe I can make my own ferments and, you know, it just kind of leads, but it's a natural, it's not a forced, it's not a, um, it's not a stressful, it's not a get it all done as fast as you can. It's just a natural progression. Um, and that's kind of the heart of, of homesteading, I think, you know, um, so before we close, um, Luita, I really would like to hear about your homestead core, um, your, um, what's it called? Course for homesteading elders. Can you mm -hmm. tell us a little bit about it? What compelled you to write it? When will it be ready? Um, just give us all the details real quick. Um, I'm going to start, I'm going to open my Facebook page this weekend and then the actual course should be out in a couple of weeks. Um, it was because of all the things I'm telling you is I'd hear people go, oh, I'm 63. I can't do that. And I think of my father at 80 something splitting wood because he liked to, you know, I can't split wood. I'm horrible at it. I mean, you'd sell tickets to watch me split wood. And I, I just, the technique has just escaped me. I can do a lot of things. That's not one of them. And he was 80, 82, and he would split five cords of wood every summer. That was his exercise, as he called it, um, when we lived in Washington. And so, you know, I, I think of him and I, I think he broke his hip and they always tell you, oh, you do that and you're over 60 give it up. Well, he was late seventies, early eighties, and he just wouldn't give up. He started with the walker and he walked everywhere. I'd hear him down there walking, walking, walking. And then he went to a three prong king and, and they said, well, you know, you should have your bed upstairs. And he was like, nope, my bedroom's downstairs. And so he, you know, and pretty soon it was a walking stick and he would walk the girls. They were little, little then. And it was their thing pretty much daily to go this long few mile route and see what changed every day. And as soon as he got to where he was on the three prong cane, they were back at the walk and he graduated to a walking stick. And 
that was it. You know, he, that he, and it was kind of the worst break you can get up at the top where it breaks right at the ball and that never even slowed him down for very long because that just wasn't who he was. And I think a lot of times when we listen to other people and other things, yes, that's a possibility. It, it, anything is possible, but who are you? What do you want to do? And I wanted to encourage seniors and people with physical challenges. You can do this. You can milk a cow. You got to make your stanchion different. You have to build this different. You have to put ramps in, but you could do this. Mm-hmm. You could do this. It's just some modifications. You scaffolding, you know, I'm not a big ladder person. I'm, and because of my hip, I'm not steady really on them anyway. So scaffolding for me and, and things like that, you can rent equipment that's really big and if it's really expensive what if two or three neighbors needed to use it and you could rent it for two days and split it you know there's stuff on um craigslist and the different local trading places that you can get things and sometimes people will they might not let you to borrow something that's really expensive but they might say hey tell you what you give me a dozen eggs every week for the next eight weeks and i'll come over and do that well, that's a great trade, right? Three hours of work done by somebody who knows what they're doing, who makes a huge difference. And you just have to fill an egg carton. Come on. That that's a great deal anywhere on the planet. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. You're right. Well, I am excited to see your Facebook page and I'm excited to see, we'll have the link to the Facebook page in the show notes. And um, once the, once the um, course is released, I'll update the show notes so we can have a link to that as well. Um, I did want to invite everyone to obviously follow us on YouTube. We're Common Ground Alaska. We're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. Um, we have a website. We've got our classes coming up. We also have um, our courses that we offer. So all of our class, most of our classes that we offer, we also record, and then we put them in, um, in our, our course, um, which is, I believe it's launching here in just a day or two. I'm it's building a course website. When you said you were doing that, ours is for multiple courses, but building a course website is not for the faint of heart. It is not easy. Mm -hmm. We could have gone with something like teachable and it would have been easy, but, um, the way we did it was, you know, like everything else, we did it a little bit, um, a little different. And, um, so I I think we took the hard way, but that's okay. Cause we're getting it done. But, um, but you're welcome to um, check out our website at commongroundalaska.com. And we will link to Luetta's website as soon as, as soon as she's got that ready to go. But Luita, sorry, Mm -hmm. Luita, I just want to thank you for, um, for coming on the show and for speaking um, to people who maybe don't feel like they get spoke to very often in the homesteading world, just like we're trying to change it so that there is a voice for Alaska in the homesteading world. So you're not continually watching YouTube videos, knowing it, what they're saying won't work. Um, you know, we're, we're trying to turn <laughs> yeah. that around. This will work. This is homesteading in Alaska. You know, this yes. is building that agrarian society, that yes. agrarian community. Um, and just like we're trying to speak to Alaskans specifically, I love that you are speaking to the audience that resonates with you. And that would be elders and people who are physically challenged. And I just think it's an incredible, um, an incredible mission. And um, I just think you're doing a great thing. And I really appreciate you being on our show today. Well, I thank you for inviting me. 
I, this is my passion is I want to help people that want to do this. I want to be that person you call and go, oh, our chickens are coming tomorrow. Do we have everything? Our, our, our baby chicks will be here. We've got this, we've done that. And I can say, yes, yes, <laughs> yes. You know, or, or look at this part or look at that part. Yes. You've got this. This is working, you know? Yeah. It's important. I, it is important. And I appreciate your heart in that. It's pretty incredible. So Thank you so much for being on the show today. I really appreciate it. I think it's going to be an encouragement for a lot of people. I hope so. I hope so. I, I'm excited and I hope that people will give me feedback. You know, nothing's perfect the first time. So what, what did they want to learn that I didn't address or what I would love feedback? Okay. Yeah. Comment and put, leave a comment. Let us know your, your questions. You'll Louita will be watching and yes. um, she'll answer your questions. So, all right. Thank you, Louita.